0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error, and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. So I'm going to make it as simple as, as I can with this one truth. And this is the truth that I want you to grab a hold of today, that Jesus unmasked fear for us because Jesus is king. Yeah. I don't care what you're dealing with. Jesus is king. I don't care what your anxiety is is about. Jesus is king. I don't care what sickness you deal with. Jesus is king. I don't care about your finances. Jesus is king. I'm not saying I don't care on a personal level. I'm telling you on a spiritual level, you don't have to be anxious about these things because Jesus is king and he is sovereign. And because he's sovereign, he can't be challenged in his authority. He can't be challenged by his word. He can't be challenged in anything because he is king. And this truth should destroy every fear that we have. And I don't know how to make it more simple than that, so I'm not. Jesus is king, and because Jesus is king, I have peace. And so today I want to teach specifically about how Jesus unmasks our fear as king from Colossians, like I told you a moment ago, Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read from 15 to 22. Verse 15. I love this text. This is the supremacy of Christ. Why Christ is incomparable. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both, in heaven, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, everybody say all things, have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. Having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Amen. Let me tell you, that speaks of an incredible Jesus. I'm going to explain to you why, because of this text, we shouldn't fear. I have one mission today, one hope, one assignment, and that is to bring you peace and comfort to know that you are held in the righteous right hand of God, and Jesus Christ is the avenue to that God, and without Him, you have nothing. But because you have Him, stop walking around in your waller. Stop fearing. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Jesus is already there and knows what's happening then. And so here we go. I'm going to make four succinct, hopefully succinct points. (laughs) Number one, Jesus unmasked fear because he is God. That seems simple enough. Verses 15 and 19 declare this truth. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. You know what that means? That means when you see Jesus, when you read about Jesus, when you recognize the things that Jesus has done, when you see and acknowledge His love, His mercy, His compassion for you, you literally see the God that you can't see in the life, in the ministry, in the word of Jesus Christ. He is God. Verse 19 for it was His Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. He was fully God. Many of you have heard, I'm sure as I have, that people will say, Jesus never actually claimed to be God. This isn't true. This is a lie intended to deceive you. Because the word is very specific. He claimed to be God in front of Pilate in John eighteen thirty-seven. Therefore Pilate said to Him, So you are a king? And I can hear the arrogance in his voice. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. That's a a declaration. People say he never said he was God. He just said he was God. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify to the truth. Anyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Period. God put a period on that. He claimed to be God in each of his I Am statements. I'm going to run through these very quickly. The verses are up here. If you want to write them down and study them later, you're certainly welcome to. I'm not going to go into them in any great detail. He says, I am the bread of life in John six thirty-five. That means he sustains life, both physical and spiritual. Did you know he couldn't do that if he wasn't God? Matter of fact, I'm not going to say that again. Just know every one of these statements. He couldn't do that if he wasn't God. He's the light of the world, which means he brings us out of darkness. We were previously in the kingdom of darkness, now in the kingdom of light. Previously belonged to the enemy, now as sons of disobedience. Now we belong to God as sons and joint heirs with Christ. Can you get excited about that for a minute? This is impossible unless he was God. I said I was going to say it again. I lied. I apologize to God for that later. The door of the sheep. He is. I am the door of the sheep which means he protects the sheep. As the door, the sheep go in. Can I tell you, you have a responsibility to that? If you want the protection of the door of the sheep, you better act like sheep. You better get in there. You're only protected as you're willing to enter the door, which protects you. But regardless, Jesus is that door, that protection. He is the resurrection and life. He is the destroyer of death. And I'm going to talk about the resurrection in just a few moments. He is the good shepherd. He is caring and gives and offers provision. He is the way and the truth and the life. He's the source of truth and the only, listen to me, the only true path to God. Anybody that tells you different is a liar. Rebuke them and move away. Not only is he the way, the truth, and the life, but finally his seventh statement is, I am the vine. Which means if you want life, you're only going to have it by being attached to the vine. You want to bear fruit? You have to stay attached to the vine. Abide. So many of us don't have the peace that we need because we don't abide in the presence of God that he has offered us in his son Jesus. But we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus is God. He is the image of God. When we see Jesus, when you see Jesus in His Word, you see God. Why is that important? It's important for this reason. Because if He is fully God, He can be trusted as God is trusted. Before I go any further, I need to make this declaration. I'm going to assume that you believe, since you're sitting in here, that this is the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. That what it says is true. And if you don't believe that, it's probably because you don't have a relationship with Him, and and we're going to deal with that before we leave here today, too. But I am working off the assumption... That you believe that this is true. And so I'm not going to try to convince you that the word is true. I'm just going to read the word of God to you. Amen? Because I can, I can get up here and talk. And I can be, I'll be honest with you. I've been teaching adult learners since 2003 officially, since about 2000. So for almost 20 years I've been teaching adult learners. I'm pretty persuasive. I've honed a skill. I think probably when you use it incorrectly, it's not persuasive, it's manipulative. I can be pretty manipulative. I'm working on it. But I don't want you to be manipulated. I want you to hear the Word of God. So let's talk about what the Word of God says. It matters that Jesus is God because the Bible tells us that God is love. And the reason you fear is because the love in you hasn't been perfected yet. God is perfectly mercy. God is perfectly compassionate. Everything that God is, Jesus is. And everything that God is, God is perfectly. Everything that God is, God is perfectly. Why does this destroy fear in us? Because He loves you with a love you can't even comprehend. He's offered you mercy at a level you can't even comprehend. He has offered you compassion at a level you can't even comprehend. What is compassion? It's the seeing of a need and feeling motivated to meet that need. That's compassion. And in that compassion extended you grace. Perfect grace. Everything that he is, he is perfectly. He's perfectly good. He has your good in mind. He's perfectly just. He has your justice in mind. Everything That God is, Jesus is. And everything that they both are, they both are perfectly. Rest in that. Let that unmask the fear in you. Because that's what the word of God says. Number two. Jesus unmasks fear because he is master of all creation. Spiritual and physical. Verse 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, everybody say all things, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus is master over all things, which means that He commands all things, which that he command, which means he commands anything that would come against you, He commands all things. He is master of all things. And He's master in a certain number of areas. And there's a reason why He is called master. Number one, He is master over all things because He is creator of all things. John 1, 3 says, All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come come into being. Everything that exists, Jesus made. The Word of God made. The Word came to life as Jesus Christ. Amen? I, I love this. Because this matters to us in regard to unmasking our fear when we consider how incredible everything that He made is. I want to talk to you about just, just the universe for a moment. I'm I'm going to read some statistics to you, some numbers to you. that I want you to get around, get in your head. <laughs> the, the sun, our sun, is the diameter of 864,000 miles. Has a diameter of 864,000 miles. That's 100 times the earth's diameter. Doesn't seem like that big a deal because I can't really figure out how big the earth is, but I know it's pretty big, so 100 times of that. But when you think that 1.3 million Earths can fit inside the mass of the sun, it's incomprehensible. He did that. You don't think he can take care of you? The Milky Way galaxy contains hundreds of billions of suns just like ours, in many, many, many much larger. It's estimated that there are billions of galaxies. The number nobody knows how big the number is, but they estimate it. Strangely enough, to be the same as the number of sands on the Earth, which is ten to the twenty-fifth power. You know what that means? A lot. (laughs) That means ten with twenty-five zeros at the end of it. I'm going to sit here just long enough for you to do the math on that. So I'm going to be quiet till till after I'm dead you're never going to get your mind around that number and you don't think he can take care of you he's capable of unmasking your fear because even if one of these little things is out of place you don't exist if the sun is closer to the earth than it is you don't exist if it's further away from the earth than it is you don't exist if the earth doesn't rotate on the axis that it rotates on you don't exist there's a Billion reasons why if it wasn't exactly the way that it is, you wouldn't exist. And yet you do exist, which proves that Jesus is capable of taking care of you if he's capable of creating you in the first place. The universe gives testimony to the greatness of our creator. Let me read something from you out of the book of Psalms, 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Does that make sense in regard to the numbers that I just gave you? I had a guy, I've heard several people say that the universe is too big for us to be the only living people in it until you read this verse. And if the universe is intended to demonstrate the glory of God to us, and that's the only reason it exists, then I say it's about the right size. Or maybe even just a little too small. Because God is bigger. Because he created it. And we walk in fear. What am I trying to do today? I'm trying to tell you, you don't have to walk in fear. God created you, he can take care of you. He doesn't just, he can't, it's not just that he can not take care of you. He wants to take care of you. He is master over all things because he is before all things. He existed before the universe. Which means, listen to, listen to this, this is incredible to me. All this stuff is incredible to me. I, I get blown away sometimes, sometimes I just stare at the ceiling because I can't get my head around it. I want you to fall in love with the Word of God. If He's eternal, if He's eternally existent before the universe and before that, before that, and before that, that means that His knowledge is infinite. His experience is infinite. And his perspective is infinite. Do you think he knows what you need? With infinite knowledge, infinite perspective over your life. Do you think he knows what you need? Absolutely he does. And he wants to provide it for you. I don't talk about a prosperity gospel. I'm trying to tell you that God loves you enough that he wants to take care of you. And he does take care of you. And yet we walk in fear. John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This proves this to be true. He told the Jews in John five fifty eight, Before Abraham, I am. Those two words should blow your mind. You am what? Yes. I am blank. What do you need? Jesus is that. I am your provision. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. What do you need from God? And he'll look at you and say, I am that. And we fear. Jesus is master over all things because he holds supreme authority. We know this to be true in Matthew 28, 18. He literally says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. And it's a totally different subject. I'm not going to go into today, but then he gave that authority to you so that you could walk in victory so that you don't have to walk in fear. But I want to talk about his authority. If he is the supreme authority, according to this word in Colossians, it says in verse 16, In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him which means that anything that comes against you has no place to come against you. You have to assume the authority that God gave you. And that authority is only available in Christ Jesus. Jesus is master because he holds all authority. Stop walking in fear. I'm trying to unmask your fear today. I told you I got one purpose today to show you that God is bigger than your problem. Your, Your issue. I told it at the very first sermon we did in this series. When we were talking about the storm on the lake, and Jesus fell asleep. We need to get to a place where we recognize that the God in our boat is bigger than the problem outside our boat. And until we realize that, we're always going to walk in fear. God is master. He is capable. He is the supreme authority. And because of that, according to Philippians 2.10, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and everybody in this room, should say amen. 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 1 Peter 3.22 says, Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to Him? Everything is under His rule. Because everything is under His rule, the only thing that can come against you is what He allows to come against you. And if anything comes against you, it's only for your perfection, so you shouldn't have to worry about it anyway. Finally, He's master over all things because He holds all things together. Because He created it. Because He came before it. Because He holds authority over it. He's the one who ensures that nobody's dropping a ball. Jesus is dropping no balls in your life. He can hold it together. He can keep you together. You know what you have to do? You know what your responsibility is? To abide to rest in, to find confidence in, to find the assurance in. These are all the same thing. But maybe one of these words are resounding with you. Everything that you need, I said need on purpose, is found in Christ Jesus. Stop fearing. Stop fearing. Walk in the confidence that God gave you in His Son Jesus. Number three, Jesus unmasked fear because he guarantees victory over death. Verse 18, he is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. He guarantees victory over death. He says here first, before I get into that, because I don't want to skip any portion of this, he is also head of the body, the church. Which means he's responsible for the church. And I mean that congregationally and individually. Do you think he's not capable of taking care of that which he established? How many of you guys have kids? Would you not take care of something you created? Absolutely. You love it, you nurture it, you make sure it has plenty of food, you do everything, you sacrifice everything, Of yourself so that that person might have. And rightfully so. But can I tell you in relation to the perfection of how God does it, you're not doing it well. You're doing it well according to earthly standards, I hope. But God loves you more than you love your kids. I don't understand it because I look at my kids and I hold my daughter and I'm thinking, how is that possible? But I just know that it is. And so as the head, he can take care of us. But also, and the thing I want to make most significant, the, the point I want to make most significant here is that he has victory over death. Because he has first place in everything. I want to read you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've never read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let me encourage you to do that. One of the greatest fears that people have is the fear of death. Especially the older we get. Like when I was 20, I didn't even, I didn't even think death was real. I was bragging to, I was talking to some of my old Army buddies the other day, and I can remember traveling to Raleigh, North Carolina um, from Ford Bragg one day. We were going to go party, probably something I shouldn't share with y'all, but y'all know who I was. I don't hold any secrets. I try to be pretty transparent. We're going to Raleigh, North Carolina to party. We're driving down the interstate at 70, 80 miles an hour, probably no telling, maybe a little faster. In a convertible, all of us were drunk, including the driver, sadly. And we were taking turns getting out of the back seat and on the trunk to surf at 80 miles an hour intoxicated down the interstate. I didn't even consider death when I was 20. But now that I'm 22, <laughs> death is more of a consideration. Somebody had a hall, man, you've had a rough... Ministry's hard, y'all, I told you. That's why we need guys like MVP over here, right? <laughs> But what I'm saying is death cripples many of us. We're terrified of it. But can I tell you, you don't have to be. 1 Corinthians proves 15, read it. Read it and read it again if you have a fear of dying. Max Licato said this. I, I love Max Licato more for his illustrations than his writing. But his illustrations are incredible. He said, don't fear death. He said, God looks at death, at your death specifically, the way a grandfather watches a delivery room door. Man, is that beautiful? Any grandfathers in here? Remember what it's like just looking like you you know on the other side of that door is that baby, man. You want to get a hold of it. This is how I picture God waiting to receive me. And it destroys the fear in me. Because I know to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord and I'm going to be forever and eternally in His presence. And that should excite me, not paralyze me. These are the truths you'll find in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians if you'll read them. But let me read this specifically to you out of 20 and 23 out of that same chapter. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who were asleep, which means he was raised first to prove that being raised might actually be possible. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Y'all catch that? Because of our sin, we were dead. But in Jesus, because we have accepted His sacrifice, we don't have to worry about death. That's good. But each in his own order, the first fruits. After that, those who were Christ's at His coming. Don't fear death. Because of the work that Jesus Christ did, death shouldn't paralyze us, it should excite us. Because of what He did, this truth is absolute verse 54 the last part of that verse and 55 says death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting these are rhetorical questions do you know why we ask rhetorical questions we ask rhetorical questions because they're so ridiculous they don't even need an answer and so the question oh death where is your victory Is such a ridiculous question that it doesn't need an answer because my victory is Jesus Christ. Where is your sting? It doesn't have a sting because the stinger was pulled out of it by the work of Jesus Christ. Ain't that good? And yet we walk in fear. Walk in fear of nothing, walk in reverence to Christ Jesus as King, and He'll destroy every fear in your life. Number five, or number four, and finally, this is the last one. Jesus unmasked fear because he has reconciled us. 20 through 22 of this same text says it like this. And through him to reconcile himself to all all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Amen. You know, there's a truth. There's several truths in this verse, in these verses. These are the two I want to tell you. I told you earlier that God is perfect in everything that he is, even when we don't want him to be. Because I don't know about you, but the perfect wrath of God freaks me out. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, the reconciliatory work of Jesus Christ, He holds no wrath for us who have called upon the name of Jesus. Because He is perfectly just, there has to be an appeasement, an atonement for sin. And Jesus took that sin on Himself so that we wouldn't have to be responsible for it. He took, He crawled upon the cross of His own volition, His own free will, so that He might offer Himself the perfect and holy sacrifice, the only perfect and holy sacrifice, so that He might meet the penal requirement of God's wrath and be the substitute for you so that you didn't have to take it. That's beautiful. That's so good. Jesus loves us enough. Jesus loved you enough that although we were enemies of God, He made us friends of God. He brought us into relationship with God. He settled accounts between us. Ephesians 5, 6 says, The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." But when we accept Jesus Christ we're no longer that. Therefore we never have the consequence of that which is the wrath of God. I love that this it's that that text I just read you is previewed by three words. Don't be deceived. Don't let anybody lie to you. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He made peace by the work of his blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, one may also say, All things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But it was more than just bleeding. It was a violent death that Jesus took. Because He could have bled for you without taking the wrath of God upon Himself. But He knew that wouldn't be enough. And he did it all for these three reasons. So that we may be holy. Not no longer separated from God, but separated from sin. So that we might be blameless, without blemish, and capable of standing before God. And beyond reproach. Which means that now, because of those first two things, the enemy doesn't have the right to charge us with anything. Man, is that good? He did it all for us. And so today, recognizing that it's the work of Jesus that not only destroys the fear in our life, but it's the work of Jesus that puts us in a place to not fear, I want to take communion as a family today. I want us to acknowledge the work that Jesus did on our behalf through communion. So, Brother Trent, if you guys will come ahead, I want to read you some things first before we get started. What did Jesus do? Isaiah 53, many of you know this text because I read it every time we do communion because it's it's absolutely true. Verse 4 starts like this. Surely our grief He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced, For our transgressions. He was pierced for our violations of the law. Not because of anything that he did. Are you listening to me? He was crushed. For our iniquities. For our wickedness. Because he had no wickedness of his own. The chastening. The infliction of suffering. Was on him. For the sake of our well-being. And by scourging. We are healed. This is the work that Jesus did for us. For us, because we needed it. What do I want you to hear in the words that I'm speaking right now? That he had no violations of the law of his own. He had no wickedness of his own. He had no need of healing on his own. He recognized that you needed those things. And he made himself the perfect sacrifice so that you might have them. This is what we remember in communion. And so Paul writes in regarding to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says this, and I'm going to read it backwards a little bit, probably differently than you've heard it, some of you. Verse 27, Paul gives instruction about the Lord's Supper. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. What is Paul saying here? He said, listen, you should never take communion without checking yourself first. Too many churches just decide that they're flippantly after service or before service or during service. Hey, you know what? Let's take communion. And then they say the first three or four verses about let's take the bread, let's take the cup, and they move on. And they wonder why so many among them are sick, why so many are asleep, why they're not paying attention, why why there's disunity in their church, why they're walking around with something other than what God would have for them. Because they have placed a curse upon their life, because they've aligned themselves with Jesus Christ, being outside of fellowship with Jesus Christ. There's a curse for that. And so before we take communion, I want an opportunity for us to check ourselves. I want us to take an opportunity for repentance. Because it's, it's in order to do so. Jesus makes it easy. There's three kind of people in this room. People in this room that don't know Jesus at all. But there's There's a beating in your chest right now you're not sure what to do with. I'll tell you, Jesus is what you should be doing with. There are those of you that have allowed yourself, according to the writer of Hebrews, to drift away. You haven't been as cautious about your spiritual walk as you should be. And you want to know how to get back to center. And there's people in this room that are exactly where they should be. But like all of us, still are dealing with something that they need help with. Now's the time to deal with all three of those problems. When will we see perfection? When we're in the presence of perfection. And so I want to give you an opportunity today. If you don't know Jesus, or if you've drifted away from the relationship that you once had, and you want that passion back, you want that fire that you remember, the passion of your youth, that's as easy as declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And the Word of God says in Romans 10, 9, You shall be saved. And that's what I want for you. Whether you've never known, whether you've known and fallen away, today is the day of your salvation. But I do know that there are people amongst us that still struggle. Even though if I died right now, I'm going to heaven. I have sin in my life from time to time that I need to ask God to forgive me for. And so I'm going to pray. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to make right with God that which needs to be made right in your life. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that as we've read your word, we we know that you love us. God, I, I pray on behalf of the people in this room, if there's anybody in this room that was intimidated or for whatever reason felt though they couldn't raise their hand, I pray that you continue to work in them and through them. God, for those of us that still struggle with things in our life, I ask you, Heavenly Father, on a personal level, to forgive me of my anger and my bitterness. I ask that you show me how to forgive those that need to be forgiven. Teach me to walk in your ways, to love the way that you love, even on the days when I don't feel like it. I lay my shortfallings, my shortcomings at your feet, and I intend to leave them there. By the power of your Holy Spirit, won't you show me how? Thank you, God, for you are mighty, you are majestic, and you are capable. And according to your word, you love me. Thank you for everything that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, for I receive from the Lord which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us remember. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it and the way that it declares how much you love us. For the way that it shows us that our fear is unnecessary, that our anxiety is unnecessary, that you are master over all things, that Jesus Christ is king, and because Jesus Christ is king and we belong to you and belong to Him, we can rest in the assurance that He watches over us and according to your word holds us in His righteous right hand. We celebrate you today, Father God, because we love you and you love us. God, my prayer is that the people in this room internalize these truths, that by the power of your Holy Spirit they begin to walk out these truths so that they can have constantly a smile on their face and understanding that you are beside them, that you are for them, not against them, that whatever they were is no longer who they are, that you have made them everything they need to be to accomplish your greater purpose on earth and in their own lives. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you, not us, are capable of unmasking our fear. And we thank you that you have. We worship you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.